Hello and welcome to the podcast version of The Good World. Uh, what you are about to listen to was recorded on video, so sometimes there will be allusions to YouTube or things that are happening visibly, um, and you will also hear my dog Charlie in the background, probably, um, and so I apologize if you can't see it, but hopefully you can enjoy the audio version, uh, and you can find the video version at goodworld.love. Thanks. Okay, hello. Welcome to the good world. Uh, I am Seth. Gonna crack that window open a little bit. Uh, so I am currently driving to the dog park. Uh, you can see Charlie in the back. He'll, uh, he's, he's currently whining because he wants to get to the dog park faster. He loves the dog park and he doesn't like the parts of the trip in between the house and the dog park. He really wishes that teleportation were something that existed. I know, buddy. I know. But we can only get there as fast as we can drive. Um, so I guess I'll... I don't know. Where where should I start? Uh, I... Oh my goodness, Charlie. Charlie, look, you have, you have both windows now. Double wind machine. So beepy. Uh, yeah, so we drive to the, the dog park every day, and something that I've realized is that I tend to have a lot of thoughts uh, about the world on this, on this daily commute that I do with my dog, so I figured I would just share them. Um, and I apologize for not looking at the camera and looking at you very much, um, but I am, I am driving, uh, so I, I honestly feel like questionable enough about the fact that I'm doing this while driving. Um, I'm certainly not going to compound that by, uh, by looking at the camera just for aesthetic reasons. I know, I know, good dog. We're on our way to the park and we'll be there, you know, in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, so, uh, I've, I've been, like, trying to start a the channel for a while and I haven't I've had a hard time figuring out where to start because I have a lot of ideas um, and a realization that I had the other day was that I can just uh, I can just do this and this doesn't really require this this is a nice like minimum viable product to use a, a nice little bit of tech lingo um, so I guess let me tell you a little about me um, I there's, there's so much... I mean, we all have so much to say about ourselves, right? If you're asked to, like, explain yourself, it's going to take some time um, for any of us. So it's it's always a little hard to figure out where to start. Um, but I've, I have uh, spent the last, like, year and a half on... Uh, borrowing a friend's term, but I do think it's accurate, um, a journey of self-discovery. Uh, and I realize that that sounds, like, pretty cheesy and pretty obnoxious. Um... And, you know, it's the kind of thing that I think in most of my life I would sort of dismiss as a pile of, uh, of hippie bullshit. Um, but it's true. Um, and I, there's, there is a lot of, uh, of sort of external support that goes into that, right? Like our, our society does not do a good job of, uh, of giving people the opportunity to go on journeys of self-discovery. And, and I am very fortunate that I'm in a position to do it, um, both through, uh, you know, just through, like, status that I've inherited. Um, also my, uh, my wife has a, a, a well enough paying job that, um, we're not, like, struggling for money. Um, and also, uh, we have, I, I come to the table with family money, which is, um, a, a huge difference maker, if I'm going to be honest, in our society. Um, and so I am trying to use uh, my, what I have learned, um, from having been sort of born into, uh, into the world of, like, elite status, um, I've, I've learned a lot from that experience, and it's not something that I hear a lot of people, uh, with my kind of background talk about, so I figured, uh, this is, this is a good place to talk about it, so I'm gonna, gonna talk about it right here. Charlie is currently, uh, well, you can, you can see his tail, I guess, he's, uh, got his head out the window because it's the wind machine, um, and this is this is a very good wind machine speed for him. Uh, we're doing you know just about forty right now, 
Uh, so yeah, I guess a little bit on geography. Uh, my wife and I are currently living uh, outside of Grass Valley, California, which is in the Sierra foothills. Um, it's, it's not totally rural, or at least where we are is not totally rural, but it's, it's rural-ish. It's certainly not urban. Um, we, uh, we do like cities. I mean, we, uh, we met living in Washington, D.C. I lived there for eight years. She lived there for like 13, I think, something like that. Uh, anyway, yeah, so here we are in Grass Valley, and, uh, and Charlie and I get to have this lovely 20-minute drive down to the dog park every day. Oh, there's the waving guy. Hi, waving guy. Uh, I don't know anything about that gentleman except that um, pretty much every day, weather permitting at least, he goes for a walk down this street, and he waves at every car that passes, and so I have taken to waving back at him. Uh, just makes, makes the world a little bit nicer. Um... All right, so let's let's get into some like slightly heavier stuff. I know, I know, Charlie. I know, it is so hard to be a dog. I know, you just want to be there already. You know where we're going. Yeah, I know, I know. But you have both side wind machines. Um, you'll all have to forgive Charlie and his excitement. Uh, the drive back is usually a little quieter, but the drive down to the dog park is uh, is like this. Um, so the, I think the thing that I have sort of come to see across the last, you know, year and a half of, uh, of existence, um, is the way that all of us are sort of conditioned and trained, not intentionally, it's just sort of the nature of the system, um, to, to fight each other for status and to see status as... Um, as a currency and as, you know, the most important thing. Um, and that certainly has some strong, like, evolutionary origins, right? Like, you know, apes uh, out, out on the savannah and, like, chimps and stuff have, uh, and bonobos have their, their sort of status hierarchy. Um, and the thing is, when you are born into high-ish status. I mean, you know, I'm, I grew up, I guess let's talk about this for a moment. Um, I, I generally like to say that I, well, not like to, but I think it's an accurate description to say that I sort of grew up, uh, in, uh, in an aristocratic home. Uh, you know, my, my dad is a, is a New York City tax lawyer who works with lots of big companies and famous people and all kinds of things. And so we're, you know, historically, that's the tier. There's, like, the royalty, and then there are the people who provide professional services to the royalty. Um, and so so I sort of grew up in uh, in that that second tier, which is, uh, is a good one for reminding you that there are always people who are higher status than you. Um, but also seeing, you know, that in in sort of relative terms. I mean, I, I was born into, within, like, the world... Even just limiting to the world now, not even counting all of human history, I was just born into, like, the 99.999th percentile of possible privilege, right? Like, I, I went to private school uh, starting in third grade, went to private middle school and private high school and private university. I know, Charlie. Um, I did get my master's at a public school. I went to, I went to grad school. See, also, I got my master's is the kind of thing I'm supposed to say to, like, confer status upon myself. But what actually happened is I started a PhD program, and two years into it, I decided that it was not for me. And it was, you know, it wasn't even that it was hard work, but it was, I don't mind doing hard work, but it has to be... Uh, I have a really hard time doing hard work that I find tedious, and there's, uh, being a grad student involves a lot of reading very boring academic literature. So, anyway, when I say I got my master's, what I really mean is I dropped out of a PhD program. Um, but it was at UC Berkeley, which is, you know, a public school, and, uh, and so that was, that was my first experience of public school since second grade. Um, so that is, that, you know, that's, that's the tier that I... Uh, that I have always sort of found myself in, societally speaking, um, and I worked in uh, I worked in politics for 
about a decade. Um, I left grad school in 2012 to go uh, and work on the Obama campaign. Um, and you re you may remember, you know, hearing all about the Obama analytics team. Um, and actually, if you look up the Time Magazine article uh, about the Obama analytics team, there's a picture uh, and. Um, if on the right side, uh, you can actually see this. This is what it looks like. It's this beard, but shorter. Shorter beard. Um, maybe a little more hair back there? I don't know. I mean, I... Well, my hair is longer, but, you know, there's... The the amount that's up here has uh, has not... It hasn't increased. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. Um, but so I worked, you know, in, in the professional political world, and again, like being being one of the Obama analytics people uh, gave me gave me a status that, you know, I would say wasn't necessarily and I don't know, there's an element of it that's earned, but there's also an element of it that's bullshit, um, and you know, I, I sort of, my there were 55 people, I think, on the on the Obama analytics team and I, you know, was probably if you ranked everyone by intelligence, I was somewhere between 45 and 55. Uh, it was it was a really smart group of people. Um, but being in that room gave me, you know, uh, gave me a, a thing to sell, right? Um, and the reason that I most recently got tired of working in the in the political industry is that, like any industry I've worked in, there's there's just a huge amount of bullshit um, and a huge amount of, you know, marketing ourselves as a way to achieve status. Um, and, you know, I think there are there are versions of sales and marketing that are honest, um, but the, the system incentivizes bullshit. Um, and that is just a thing that I find emotionally exhausting. Uh, and so, you know, again, because I am in this um, unique position of, uh, of privilege and sort of financial, um, safety, uh, I was able to walk away from it. Um, and I've, I've kind of decided that the best thing I can do for the world, uh, I've got a traffic light so I can look at you. Hello. Um, the best thing I can do for the world, I think, is to, is to just talk about it and to talk about, you know, I've, I've, through sort of all of my life experiences, I've, um, been in positions of, uh, of high status and I've sort of worked with a lot of people who, uh, would generally be described as elite. Um, and I've also gotten to know a lot of people who would not be described as elite. You know, I've, I've, um, done a fair amount of travel and so I've like gotten to know people in other parts of the world. Um, and I, I just find people interesting and I like talking to people. Um, and when it comes to things like intelligence or working hard, uh, or, um, or, or just general goodness on, on any dimension you want to think of, um, people who are sort of in that elite, you know, wealthy, educated, et cetera, tier, um, are not any better than, uh, than anyone else. And so I, I think it is, I think a way that I can, that I can be of use to the world, um, is to just talk about it. Um, cause the other thing I've learned, sorry, this is kind of a tricky intersection here. Letting me go. Thank you. Um, getting off the highway. Also, Charlie's going to step up the beeps cause we're getting very close to the dog park now. Um, you know, I'm the, the one thing that I've learned is that I'm, I am competent in some ways, but like I am a woefully disorganized person. I'm a, I'm a pretty creative thinker, um, but I have I have severe ADHD. I don't know if you've noticed um, that I will kind of flit back and forth conversationally. Uh, I I I don't necessarily stay on one topic for very long without branching off of it, and you know I can usually find my way back, but. Um, so, so sitting here and talking uh, is actually a, a place where I can add a lot of value and I can leave things that involve real competence uh, to, to people like my wife Susie um, and, and like various friends of mine um, who, are, who are better at that thing. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason that I need to sort of use my status to 
to work my way into a professional role that I won't actually be good at. Um, and, you know, one, one skill I've had my entire life is I can talk for a while if given the opportunity. So, uh, so here we are. I'm going to talk for a while. Um, <laughs> as I said, Charlie is uh, amping up the beeps. I know, buddy. Yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're getting so close. Um, which also means that I should, you know, wrap this up for the moment. Um, but that is that is kind of a, a quick overview of who I am and what I'm trying to do here. Is I'm just, I'm walking away from, uh, from, from the fight for status um, that all of us are, that all of us have inherited without asking for it. Um, and I am able to walk away from it because of my status and I, I recognize like the conflict of that and the sort of a sort of a paradox um, but I also think that if uh, if someone who you know was born into a position of status can spread the message that fighting over status is bullshit and we need to just start seeing each other as equals and and recognizing everyone as being valuable on their own terms um, I think I think that's a thing that the world needs a little more of. Um, and I, uh, you know, my at this point, my social media addiction is mostly limited to Twitter, and Twitter is such a hellscape for um, for status fights and, and dominance, and, uh, you know, everyone's always trying to dunk on people. Um, and when you... The problem is you have to choose between trying to win and trying to find the truth. Um, and ultimately you know, the truth will set you free, right? Like, there's... Just winning doesn't actually get you very far. Um, and so I'm... I'm opting out of the competition. Um, and I'm gonna try to encourage other people to do that, too. Um, okay, we're at the dog park. Charlie is excited. Uh, so I'm gonna go, but uh, I might record one of these on the way home. Uh, but thanks for being here. And I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hi, want to interrupt real quick for one thing, um, which is just to encourage you, if you like this video, to please click like uh, and click subscribe, because we live in a system where uh, that is economically necessary for me to ask you to do. So I'm asking you to do that. Um, and please share. Please share with your friends uh, or, or, or with your enemies. Um, I, uh, and if you have enemies, maybe this will help you uh, try to try to stop having enemies, because um, because uh, <laughs> that's no way to live. Um, but yeah, hit like, hit subscribe, share with people. Uh, let me know in the comments what thoughts you have. Um, you know, generic YouTube spiel. You you know the drill. You watch things probably. Uh, that's all. Okay, thanks. Okay, hi again. We are heading home from the dog park. Had a lovely time. Charlie smelled a bunch of things, peed on a bunch of things, you know, did the usual dog stuff. Hi, beeps. What you beeping about? Uh, yeah, this is kind of nice. The camera also sort of, I know I said earlier that I don't want to look at the phone while I'm driving, but it does double as a as sort of a rear view mirror specifically for the dog, at least as long as he sits in that spot. So that's nice. Okay. Um, so I want to pick up on, I want to sort of continue what I was talking about, um, about status and sort of the, you know, the way everything is set up for us to, to fight over status. Cause I just ended up, um, continuing the conversation a bit with, uh, my dog park friend, Clea. Um, we have a whole, uh, there's... You know, there's, there's a, as you might expect, there's a group of dog park regulars. Um, so my, my, my closest friends here in Grass Valley since we moved here last summer uh, are uh, a bunch of uh, women in their 50s and 60s. And they're, they're delightful. Uh, and I, I feel like I fit right into <laughs> to that demographic. Um, but anyway, uh, so one of the things we were talking about um, was the... The, the the concept of expertise um, and you know I was it sort of started with a conversation about um, I, I my knowledge of most things 
um, tends to be, you know, the expression is uh, a, a mile wide and an inch deep, uh, or sort of jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I, uh, as 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 I said to to Clea, you know, being being an expert is really hard work, but um, being a dilettante is pretty easy and pretty fun. Um, and it's it's very easy to get to a point where you are in, you know, the the like. 60th percentile in knowledge about something. So, um, you know, last year uh, I started making cheese for the first time, and that's that's been a really fun and interesting experience because I really, I love cheese. Um, the only cheese that I'm halfway decent at making at this point um, is, I, I can make cottage cheese reasonably well. Um, I guess I have made queso Oaxaca a couple times, and it's come out pretty well actually both times. Um, queso Oaxaca, if you're not familiar with it, um, sorry, that was a loud garbage truck going by, um, and I'm guessing I couldn't talk over it. Also, this is, this is one of the few turns here that, uh, gets some traffic. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, so I started making cheese. Queso Oaxaca is, uh, it's sort of Mexican string cheese. Um, it's, you can think of it as kind of the, the Mexican equivalent to mozzarella. Um, it's, it's made in a similar process where you, like, make the cheese curd and then, um, you, uh, you put it in very, very hot, almost boiling water and that, um, that stretches out the, the proteins and so it, that's how you make it stretchy. Um, queso Oaxaca is also the cheese that's in quesadillas. Anyway, I'm veering off topic. I did mention my ADHD earlier. Um, but so, you know, through a year and change of cheese making at this point, I know far less than people who make cheese professionally. Um, but I know more than most people who don't make cheese professionally. I've, I've learned you know, a, a lot of the basics about how cheese making works, but that gets you a long way. Um, but it's also really important to, to recognize and understand where your expertise might end and to be able to defer to people who know more. Um, and, you know, I mentioned my having left the professional political space, um, and part of that is I, I got into it, as I mentioned, as a data scientist, and um, there are, I am, you know, I'm more than 60th percentile when it comes to data science, but, um, but there are still people who know a lot more than me, and I'm very good at, um, generally, at understanding sort of where the limits of my knowledge are, um, on that, and, and being able to say, okay, we need to bring in someone who actually understands, you know, topic modeling or, uh, or, or Kalman filters, um, just to give two examples, uh, of techniques that I have, um, that I've hired other people to do when I have uh, not had the, the depth of understanding to do that. Um, but expertise, uh, unfortunately, ends up being um, something of a cudgel in the fight for status. Um, and so you, you end up with people sort of promoting their ability to do things and not recognizing the significant limitations of their understanding of that thing. Um, you know, if you can, if you can promote yourself as a data knower, then you can, you can get status, you can raise money, um, you can, and you can make yourself the boss. Um, and the problem with that is that if you get to be the boss on the basis of claims that aren't actually based in reality, you're not going to be a very good boss. Um, and your product isn't going to be very good. And, so a thing that I have found consistently frustrating in, you know, sort of the tech data space as well as politics, um, is the extent to which the people who make pretty dubious claims um, get rewarded with status and authority. Because um, I, you know, I, I just want to produce something that I can feel good about having produced. I don't care about being in charge of other people if I'm not good enough at the thing to be in charge. Um, but there are a lot of people who really care about being, char being in charge. Um, and, 
you know, I think it's easy to just be like, well, those people are assholes. But it's, uh, I, I actually don't think it's that. Um, even if I do sometimes find them frustrating to deal with, it's, it's a societal thing and it's a cultural thing. And it's particularly something that well-educated white men are, are sort of trained to pursue, right? We are, we are trained to pursue, um, trained and conditioned and taught uh, to pursue roles in management and leadership. And, you know, that's all well and good, but you shouldn't be managing or leading things if you don't understand the thing well enough to manage or lead. Um, and, you know, it is true that there are sort of different roles for people who are highly technical um, versus people who are sort of better at, at understanding and working with people. That is a real division. Um, but it's also very, very easy to convince yourself that that means you don't really need to know the details about something technical. Uh, and that's how you end up with... I mean, to give, to give an example that I did not work at... Um, my, at least what I know from the public record, like that's how you end up with something like Theranos, uh, which if you're not familiar with it, was a company that, it was a tech company and they promised to revolutionize blood testing. Um, and what basically happened is that someone who was very good at raising money went out and made a lot of promises and sort of assumed that the technical people would be able to deliver on them. And the promises were, were not actually realistic. Um, and I worked for a different, uh, I've, I've worked for a couple different uh, tech and data-based organizations where that same kind of thing happened. You know, the, the person who had sort of raised the money had made a bunch of promises in order to raise the money, and the promises weren't realistic. Um, and, and in both of those cases, I feel pretty strongly that that person should not have been in a management position in the first place because they didn't understand, you know, again, they, they didn't necessarily need the technical skills to execute the thing, but they needed to be able to listen to the people who did and recognize sort of where their shortcomings were. Um, but all of this is part of the larger fight for status that we are just taught to, to pursue. Um, and... You know, a, a, another dimension of this, and I, I guess I sort of left off uh, when I got to the dog park, I was talking about Twitter. There is the way, at least in, you know, I can only speak to the way things are taught in elite private schools. Um, and I, the word elite is very much uh, in quotations when I use it and, and sort of said uh, with a wink because I think it's a little absurd and a little bit of a of a story that we tell ourselves to make us feel superior um, to, uh, and, and to sort of justify our beliefs in our own superiority. Um, but the way that argumentation is taught in elite contexts is you, you figure out your argument and you go out and you find evidence to support your argument. And that is a very, very different thing from what uh, what they taught in grad school, which is to collect all of the evidence and look at all of the evidence and try to understand the truth. And these are two very opposite viewpoints, right? They are, it, it, is, it is hard to hold both of those things. Um, and the truth is the idea that we're supposed to marshal evidence to support our predetermined argument is bullshit. It's just a way to teach people to to win a thing that they shouldn't necessarily be winning. Um, you know, if if you let's take like a really extreme example, right? Like if you have one person supporting, uh, and honestly, an example I like to use a lot is race science um, because it is it is an entire scientific theory founded on misinterpreting evidence to further a predetermined claim. Um, you know, the, the sort of foundational example of data-driven data race science, uh, I'm, I'm getting very annoyed at myself for, for doing finger quotes, so I'm sorry about that too. Uh, but, you know, the bell curve is sort of, the, the, the book, The Bell Curve, if you're uh, familiar with it, 
um, which argues that there are differences in intelligence between different races and that therefore our racial hierarchy is uh, is justified, which is, to be clear, a total, just giant piece of horseshit. Um, but the premise of it is, because IQ tests show uh, differences between the races, that means that the underlying level of intelligence between the races is real uh, and, is, and is inherent. Um, and, you know, first off, IQ tests are testing a specific kind of intelligence, but also IQ tests are given after people in, in this data set in particular, are given after people have spent a lot of time already internalizing the injustices of our education system. And so, like, yeah, if you give white people a better education for a decade, they'll probably end up with a better IQ test. That doesn't mean white people are smarter. Um, and, you know, that that is research where someone came to it and said, like, okay, I where can I find evidence to support my underlying view that white people are smarter? You know, I don't think that was done consciously. I think part of what's hard is that all of these things happen unconsciously. Um, and it's actually really, really hard to look at anything objectively because we bring all of our biases to it. Um, and the only way that you can do that is to constantly question whether you are right and to accept the fact that most of the time you're actually probably wrong. Uh, and... You know, this, this actually connects to something that I, I recently um, read a little bit of Socrates for the first time in my life, so I'm now, you know, uh, less knowledgeable than philosophy PhDs, but more knowledgeable than a lot of people about Socrates. Um, and one thing I really love about Socrates' philosophy is he got into a lot of trouble because he basically said, I don't really know anything, I'm kind of an idiot, and everyone said, Specifically, the story is that someone went to the Oracle of Delphi and asked if there's anyone wiser than Socrates, and the Oracle said no. Uh, and then Socrates said, well, that's silly. I'm not wise at all. There's so much I don't know. And so he went around to find other people who had a reputation for being wise, uh, and he found that all of them were bullshit artists. And he was like, this guy's an idiot. He's just, he's just spouting a bunch of bullshit. Um, and and I, I really related to that, uh, because I don't... There is so much that I don't know, and I have encountered so many people, especially professionally, um, who, who are good at acting like they know things and are good at sort of finding evidence that supports their claims, but that's very different from finding the truth. Um, but that is, that's a cultural thing, right? That is, that is a thing that we specifically teach and encourage people to do. Um, and our entire economic system incentivizes getting yourself into management and leadership roles fake it till you make it is is a philosophy that we encourage people to do and the problem with it is if you made it by faking it you're not going to be very good at the thing and you're just going to constantly be spinning plates uh to to try to keep your your bullshit going um and the entire system is just a disaster as a result um, most of the people who have succeeded in our financial and economic system have done so through a combination of, uh, of of convincing other people to invest in them, which usually means, you know, I'll, I'll just be honest here, it's much easier, since rich people tend to be white men, it's much easier to convince them to invest in things if you are also a white man. Uh, and white men in particular, we are trained to do this whole, you're probably right, just find the evidence to support your argument thing. Um, and, you know, we, we do teach that to other people, but also societally, because we tend to view people who aren't white men with more skepticism, you know, we've just been trained. All of our examples of smart people are white men because they're the only ones who have been listened to throughout history. And so without even realizing it, we often uh, will treat white men with more credibility. Um, and so you end up with something where the people who have succeeded the most have done so because, uh, partially because they are white men, and then partially also just because they're good at taking credit for other people's work. Um, and that's, that's just a disaster. Like, there's a reason our entire system is so corrupt and broken and so full of defensiveness and just, uh, oh, 
right. I have my microphone on my uh, seatbelt here. So full of defensiveness and, and fights over bullshit. Um, so what I really would love to do is just destroy the idea that we should be fighting with each other for status, that we should be promoting ourselves at the expense of others. Uh, I, if we can shift our cultural norms, and that's, that's not an easy thing to do, and it's not something that happens overnight, but if we can shift towards pursuing truth and sort of getting our ego out of the way, we can have a much better world. Um, and really, so much of what is corrupt about our current society is the focus on ego, because ego and wealth and power and status are all things that go together, and ego is used to justify all of the other things. Um, and, you know, we do it without even realizing it, right? Defensiveness is such an instinctual reaction. And it's not, again, this is not stuff, it's not stuff that happens overnight at a societal level. It's also not stuff that happens overnight at an individual level. Letting go of your ego takes practice. I have been working on it for uh, a while, and I, you know, it's, it still shows up sometimes, right? Sometimes I still get defensive, sometimes I still get egotistical. But it's it takes work and it takes practice. Um, and I think it's really important to, to sort of emphasize the 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 power of that practice and just you know, it's i think it is important to point in a direction right like we will we will often fail to move in the direction we want uh you know if you're if if, if you are as i have done working on um on managing your anger sometimes you'll still have you'll still lash out at someone um and that sucks but it's also really important to have the direction that you're pointing because without that you're not making progress um so i fundamentally with this show what i am trying to do uh is point a direction for for people who are like me, right? If you are, I, I think if you are white, if you are a man, if you come from some degree of inherited wealth and privilege, um, any of those things, all of those things, whatever, um, I hope that this is also helpful to people who don't share my background. Um, but I also understand that their experience is gonna be different and I can't, um, I can't speak to their experience, I can speak to my own. Um, but. I am trying to point the direction that I am trying to walk in my life. Um, and I am hoping that that will serve as a useful example to other people. Um, and if not, then not. But hopefully you find what I have to say, uh, you know, compelling and interesting. And, and if you don't, um, then that's okay. Um, I would say if it's making you feel defensive, I would encourage you to, to dig into that. Um, because defensiveness is, is an instinctual reaction that our brains have. We're just wired to do it. Um, this is the, the social psychologist in me. Social psychology is another area where I'm more than 60%, but also I'm not, I don't have a PhD in social psychology, but I've studied a fair amount of it through the course of uh, my, my undergrad and graduate work. Um, so I know more than a lot of people, but also less than people who really know their stuff. Um, but our, our brains are really wired to, uh, to get defensive when we perceive a threat and status threat is a big part of what our brain is is wired to detect. Um, so if you are hearing this and you're getting defensive, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I would just say, like, take some time to really sit and think through it um, and process it and try to work towards being okay with the possibility that you're wrong. Maybe you're not wrong. Um, but if you, if you start by acknowledging that you might be and by being okay with it, uh, then, then you can, I think, get to a place where, um, where, where everything honestly is a lot clearer and you can kind of feel a lot more peace in your life. I know I certainly have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of what we're aiming at here. Um, anyway, we are home. Charlie is clearly, uh, really ready to go. Um, I think I am going to, we're going to let him out of the car. Hi face. Uh, we're going to let him out of the car and I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, meditate, because because uh, meditation is a thing that I found super helpful, um, and I may I may record that and post that here too, because uh, you know it's it's a good practice. Uh, okay, so I'll see you in a bit. Say goodbye to Charlie. Goodbye to Charlie.
Ja, kann man. Please like and subscribe. 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 Okay, so I'm recording this a little out of order because I just recorded the meditation, but I um I want to actually set it up a little bit. Um I, cause I know that a lot of people will put on YouTube, you know, while, while you're working or, or, you know, while you're doing chores around the house or, or whatever it may be. Um, and that's fine. You don't have to stop and meditate with me. Um, you are certainly welcome to, if you would like to. Um, but it may be that you're in a, I, I would say if you are in a position where you can, I would encourage you to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're at work, you probably can't and that's fine. Um, but I would, I would encourage you to sort of stick with me through, uh, through the 10 minute meditation. Um, you're also going to get about five minutes of setup in addition to this right here. Um, but I would encourage you to stick with me through, through the meditation and just, um, whatever you're doing, um, just, just do it mindfully. Try to, try to spend those 10 minutes, um, just focused on whatever you're doing and just giving it your full attention. Um, and just as if you were meditating, you know, if your brain sort of wanders away, that's fine, but try to, just try to, um, gently and, uh, and, and lovingly, um, bring it back to, to whatever is in front of you. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, I plan to, to make these meditations sort of a regular part, uh, of this channel. And, and so I don't want to, um, push away the people who, uh, who might be listening, who might not be able to set 10 minutes away from whatever they're doing. Um, but I would, I would still encourage you to, to keep it on and just be okay with the silence for the 10 minutes, um, and just work on whatever you're doing in silence. Cause I think that can be, um, just as, just as valuable, uh, for the practice. Um, okay. That's, yeah, that I think is my whole setup that I had. Great. Okay. Okay. Hi, we're back. Charlie is inside. Uh, actually, I think he's on the back porch staring at me because he said that I'm not inside because he's a dog. Um, so I just want to wrap this up with a little 10-minute uh, silent meditation. Um, this is just a practice I've started. I actually have gotten off of it recently because I've been dealing with a longer depressive episode, but that's a, that's a longer conversation for another day. Um, on the plus side, I think I'm, I'm on the swing out of it. Um, but I, regardless, meditation is, uh, is a thing I found super helpful, um, because it's basically, you know, I, I sort of talked about the idea of, of practicing, uh, practicing dispensing with our ego and sort of managing our anger and things like that. Um, and meditation is, is a really helpful practice, uh, for mindfulness. Um, and mindfulness just means sort of being aware uh, of, of, you know, where you, of, of just everything that's around you, of, of what is going on at the current moment and not sort of getting, it's, it's the opposite of mindlessness, right? It's, uh, being sucked into Twitter or, or social media or whatever is, uh, is not mindfulness. It's the opposite. Um, and you know, your brain, in a lot of ways, your brain works the same way that your muscles work where, you know, when you exercise certain things, I mean, basically what's happening is the neurons are every time a, a connection between two neurons fires, that connection gets stronger and more inclined to fire. Um, and so meditation is, is just a way to sort of practice, um, it's, it's to practice giving your attention to the thing that you want to give your attention to. Um, instead of letting your attention get sucked into whatever else. So, uh, we're, yeah, we're just going to do a quick 10 minute, uh, meditation cause I have therapy in a little bit and then, and I need to eat lunch before that. Um, but, uh, I'm going to set 
a timer and so what's going to happen is when uh, there's going to be a bell sound when the timer starts um, and then 10 minutes later there will be another bell sound to let you know that it's done um, and what I'm going to do and you know if if this is what you want to do you can do this as well if you have something else that works for you that's fine um, but I'm just going to sit here and silently repeat in my head as I breathe I'm going to breathe in and on an in-breath I'm going to think to myself I follow my breath all the way in I follow my breath all the way out. Um, and that's really just, it's just practicing keeping my attention on something. And, you know, your, your breath is, is the thing that's there all the time. Your, 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 your breath is not going to stop if you stop thinking about it. Um, so it's, it's always the thing you can bring your attention back to. It's always going to be there for you. Um, and so, you know, if, uh, if, if you're, your mind is going to wander away, right? You're going to sit there for 10 minutes, um, and unless you are a really, really experienced meditation practitioner, your mind is going to wander, and that's fine. Um, but whenever you catch yourself with your mind wandering, just uh, just come right back. Just, just come right back to, I follow my breath all the way in, I follow my breath all the way out. Um, there's currently a siren in, a distance, in the distance, which is a good reminder also that, like, the world is going to keep happening around you, and there are going to be sounds, um, and they will take your attention away, and that's okay. Um, you know, I think especially uh, if you're if you're first starting out with meditation, it's it's very easy to find yourself um, getting getting sucked into uh, getting frustrated, I should say, by by the sounds around you. So, oh, there's a siren. Oh, there's traffic, um, and that's. That, that's the point of this is not to win at meditation. The point of this is just to practice. Um, and so, you know, if your attention goes to somewhere else, just notice it and, uh, and then you can come right back whenever you realize it. Um, what I also like to try to do is whenever I catch myself, and I don't always remember to do this, and that's okay too, um, but whenever I catch myself with my mind drifting, you know, if I'm I'm sort of sitting here and my brain is thinking, oh, I wonder what I'll have for dinner later, uh, and then I remember, oh, wait a minute, I'm meditating. Uh, I like to smile when when that happens and when I come back to um, to focusing on my breath because it's it is a good way... First off, it's just nice. It's nice to have a reason to smile. Um, but it's also a good way to sort of connect a positive association to, um, to the feeling of returning your focus to the thing you want to focus on, um, which in this practice is your breath. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. Um, I've talked for five minutes to set up a 10-minute meditation, so I guess I, guess I should start uh, the meditation. Um, I'm going to use the timer actually on my iPad. Um, so I don't mess up the camera on my phone. Um, the app that I like to use for this, if you feel like doing this without me, um, is Insight Timer. Um, and they, they have a lot of guided meditations. Um, I personally have come to find that I strongly prefer silent meditation. Um, because guided meditation is sort of, by definition, it's putting your attention outside of yourself. It's putting your attention on the voice of whoever is guiding. Um, and, you know, if the idea is to sort of be in charge of our own attention, then then silent meditation, where we're focusing on, uh, on a thought in our head, is, I find, a better way to practice that. Um, so, that's what we're going to do. Let's turn the volume all the way up. Come on, come on. Mm, device volume, there we go. I don't know why it still says zero, but I think it should work. Um, okay, so again, there's going to be a bell, and then ten minutes later there's going to be another bell. Um, and I'm just going to sit here, I mean, you can't really see my hands, but I'm just going to sit here with my hands in my lap. Um, you don't have to, you know, do any... I don't know, there are the the... Those, those hand shapes have specific connotations in like Buddhism and Hinduism that I uh, am not remotely qualified to speak about. So um, I'm just going to sit here with my hands in my lap um, and, uh, and just sort of do this practice. Um, yeah, and, and you can do what works for you. Okay, I'll see you in 10 minutes. Okay. All right, the bell's going gonna, gonna to give a 15... Well, now 10 second countdown, and then we'll be starting in a moment.
There we go, that's 10 minutes. Well, I feel nice and refreshed. I hope you do too. Okay, so we're gonna end it there. Um, and I'll probably, uh, you know, we'll talk some more tomorrow about whatever. Um, please like and subscribe. Uh, and uh, in all sincerity, if you have thoughts or questions or um, if I said something that uh, hurt your feelings, um, I want to be aware of that too. Um, just, uh, you know, feel free to, to pop up in the comments, say whatever is on your mind. Um, I think open communication uh, is good. I would, I, my only request is that um, you uh, try, if you can, to be gentle, because um, uh, that's what I'm trying to do, and I, I, I think we... You know, I think I think we're all just hurt by so much in the world that we, um, our patience is constantly very thin, and I, um, I understand that, and I don't blame you if your patience uh, is very thin. But I um, would just ask you to to do your best um, to to have a little patience with me if you can, um, and I appreciate it if you can. And that's it. Okay, we'll talk again next time. Okay, bye.